Hey guys, on this episode of Unbeatable, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to try to answer a question that I have got by text, by phone call, by email, maybe a thousand times over the year. And I'm going to let my buddy, the go-to guy who co-authors books with voices for many years, Alton Gansky, help answer the question, how do I write the next bestseller? So hang on to the end of this episode when Al and I describe for you what it looks like to go through the hard work of getting a book in print. And by the way, I'm really proud to say that this episode of Unbeatable is sponsored by my friends at the Solomon Foundation. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. And when you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. So if you want to know more, check them out today at thesolomonfoundation.org. Here it is, my conversation with Al Gansky on Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Al Gansky, it has been a long time since you and I talked, buddy. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it has been a long time. Yeah. Uh, I looked uh, it up and usually, it's, I'm surprised. I was going to say, usually you and I spent uh, months, if not years, talking to each other almost every day. And then it's been a spell before since uh, it's been a minute yes. since we talked to one another. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've okay, missed you. So, yeah, thank you, Al. I've missed you too. It's good to see your pretty face uh, for everybody who's watching this episode on YouTube instead of just listening to it while you're driving. Um, I guess I should call you Dr. Gansky, although anybody who's listening now, if you have a medical emergency, dial 911. Don't call his cell phone. Um, but uh, I sent this to you. Yes, I was going to say, I sent this to you after the degree was conferred on you. Would you describe for everybody the uh, literary doctorate and uh, how that came about? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's not an academic doctorate. Uh, and uh, it, as I was talking about a little while ago uh, when we were just chatting. So I'm teaching at uh, Fresno Pacific University in the master's program, uh, leadership program. And uh, it, at that level... All this stuff matters, whether it's an academic doctorate or some other kind. Yep. Okay, so this is uh, a doctorate that's it's kind of like an honorary, but it's not like a DD or something like that. It's based on uh, achievement and work done. Uh-huh. And uh, so there was a committee that reviewed all the, the books. I think at that time I'd written, I don't know, 40 books or something like that. It's more than that now. But anyway, they, uh, they evaluate it and see if there's been any... Uh, help to society if it uh, holds up as it worthy of a, a doctorate and then that's the doctor of letters and then the other thing I tell people is it's the uh, uh, same degree that uh, Mark Twain had oh um, you and Mark Twain are practically related then yeah well his is from Cambridge but I usually don't like to bring that part up so yeah <laughs> yeah right well um, for somebody who missed that number when they were considering you for this degree in the past you had 40, four, zero books in print. There's more than that now. Um, and obviously for the listener, we're going to talk a lot about writing today because um, of the four fiction books that I have in print, all of them are in print because of you, Al. 
um, not because of me. And I regularly tell people, if you like that book, if it was a good read, it's because of Al Gansky, not because of me. I was going to tell you to stop, but if you want to keep going, it's fine. It's no, no, I'll just keep going. You're the best. You're the greatest person yeah. I've ever met in my life. In oh, fact, uh, this yeah. is my greatest honor right now, being on on the this episode with you. Um, obviously, we're friends, and we've mm-hmm. we've uh, worked together for a long time. Anybody who's listening can hear that. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit different because what I'm going to try to do in this interview with you is literally answer hundreds, if not thousands of text messages, phone calls and emails that I've got over the years about writing a book. And I regularly have to go into the story. So maybe what you and I can do is just answer every question anybody would ever want to ask in in the human history on writing a book. Sure, be glad to do that. That shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, since you are the, air quotes, the go-to guy to co-author books, you've authored a lot of your own books, but you've co-authored uh, more than a few as well. All of my fiction books, as I said, you were the guy who was doing the putting the words on the pages. I just came up with a story, and you took that uh, fairly... Um, you know, ethereal story and turned it into something on paper, which is no small accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. We actually started a fifth book. Yeah. And then they pulled the plug on it. And I still really want to see this fifth book come to pass. I was just looking at it. uh, We got a a ways into it. Uh, It certainly wasn't finished, but I was just looking at the first draft of it. And uh, I, I now really miss it. So do I. So for all of the publishers out there that are listening to this uh, podcast, which is probably zero, um, and you really want to pick up a book, we've got one that's almost uh, that's more than halfway done right now. And he and I, Al and I can easily wrap this thing up and and uh, put it in your inbox soon. Yeah, easily. Um, Yeah, 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 sure. (laughs) Easy, because writing a book is easy. That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. (laughs) Um, I'm going to, I, I, I need you to work with me for a second out. Would you brag a little bit and just describe how much content that you have had published because the listener needs to know who is on this episode. So from books to novellas, screenplays, nonfiction works, would you tell them a little bit about what you've already had published? Okay. My published work is, uh, mostly, uh, long form as they say, that would be novels. Uh, and nonfiction. I've done uh, both, uh, but most of my early books were uh, novels. Uh, I had a help from a good friend who uh, uh, applied his uh, boot to my rear end to get me back into working. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's, that's a story in itself, but I always want to give him some credit for that. Uh, All total, I've done about uh, 52 books. Uh, okay. Someplace the, around those of you who missed that number, I'm going to say it again. 52 books. Keep going. Yeah. I don't believe it either, but I go about counting yeah. like uh, that's a one a week for the next year if you're into reading. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, my first book came out in 1996, so and then uh, I started making up for lost time with that. So that's, it's about yeah, uh, 50. Uh, most of them, I think it's 27 are up uh, are uh, novels, and then I've done some uh, nonfiction uh, writing uh, for the Christian market. So uh, some of historical. Uh, kinds of things. And so mm-hmm. and that's been a, kind of a great joy uh, to do. Very different, very different. When I started a nonfiction, seriously, a nonfiction book after doing so many novels, it uh, yeah, it literally hurt. Uh, the thinking process was so different. And, uh, yeah. But I learned to do it. 
And uh, so I've done that. The screenplay was uh, just sort of a one-off thing. They wanted to make a movie out of one of my books, which never happened. But they wanted me to write the first screenplay. In uh, Hollywood stuff, there's multiple writers. Uh, Jurassic Park, for example, Michael Crichton. Uh, he wrote the first screenplay. Somebody rewrote Michael Crichton of all things. And then yeah. somebody else wrote, rewrote that person's writing until it ended up on the screen the way it was. So it's writing by committee. But they wanted me to write the first draft for one of the, the books I had done. So uh, the other things I used to do, uh, write videos for businesses. And, uh, and I've done some short work, uh, a few articles here and there, that sort of thing. But uh, that was, yeah. I was just trying to find my footing. Al, not only have you written a lot, you're prolific, and that word doesn't get used well often. It's usually thrown around to people that are not prolific. You really are. Um, but your work has been recognized and not just with the literary doctorate degree and the quality, not to mention the quantity of your work, but it's been recognized by some awards. So would you brag for just a little bit more about some of the awards that your works have received? Oh, well, that's, that's, that's going to be tough. Uh, not, not a great many. Uh, I don't usually think of them. Uh, did an angel award, won one of those, and then uh, we won uh, award. Got a, a Christie Award for Ship Possessed, uh, but then we got, uh, what was it? It was first place in uh, Suspense and Action, I think. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so one of our, our books did that, and that was, uh, uh, that was great. Uh, yeah. Fallen Angel, well, Fallen Angel, yeah. That's right. I was going to say, I blush a little bit when people are introducing me as an award-winning author because I'm thinking, I'm not the reason why that book won an award. It's 100% because of Al that this book won an award. If it were me doing the writing, nobody would have even considered the book for the category, let alone received the award. Yeah, well, don't cut yourself uh, short here because uh, you certainly kept me on track. I had a lot to learn. It was a big learning curve. Uh, well, I mean, I've been in the army. Quick. <laughs> I was going to say, you picked it up quickly. You might as well have gone through uh, basic training with all of the, you know, acronyms that I threw at you and all of the, the equipment that you had to learn real quick. Yeah. And the internet was a big help on that too. I could look. Some yeah, of course. Stuff, so, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite an education and I enjoyed it uh, very much. Well, thanks. When people ask me about some of the books that we worked on together, they inevitably will say, hey, Jeff, did what you write about really happen? And I have to remind them, look, look at the back cover. It says fiction, which means false or did not didn't really happen. However, when we started talking and that conversation turned into a fiction book, there was so much real content that influenced the final product that I easily could have written a nonfiction book. I just didn't have the security clear or the classification and the authorization to tell those about those missions. Right. So um, given content to you was relatively easy because I was just sharing, you know, what had really happened, just changing names and dates and locations or times a little bit. Yeah, and that was a, a very important part of the process uh, uh, because you've had the in your experience the things that I needed to know that I, I never had. I, I was a fireman for a while, but that's a big difference between what it was that, and where you were when you were doing these things. Uh, and to get that kind of realism, uh, and it was it was great to be able to say, okay, just going to tell me <laughs> what I got wrong here. Um, I'm going to take my best stab at it here, and then ask you to take a look at it and. Um, 
and I appreciated that because I'm sure I got stuff wrong. I grew up in a yeah, Navy and you, family. And, so. and honestly, you you uh, your first stab at it was really, really good. So there wasn't a whole lot to go back and fix. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You work with a lot of other author, a lot of other people who have never written before. So I have a couple of other books, not just with you, but other books that co-authors have worked with. And Al, you have a skill to be able to take somebody else's personality and kind of their voice, I'm putting air quotes on this, Mm -hmm. and turn their unique voice into print on a page. And I, I think... I don't really understand that skill and how you do it so well. Could you unpack a little bit of how you go about taking somebody else's voice and turning it into print when they've never done that for themselves? Well, it's probably a, a combination of things. Uh, and I, I don't know that I can quantify the, how it's done. Some of it was from the talking. And uh, I think our viewers and listeners appreciate understanding. We didn't meet face to face until we were like on the third book or something. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, because you were still active military, um, mm-hmm. different parts. And of the going overseas country. a lot and still talking to you from a satellite phone overseas. I was thinking about that this morning. My first conversation with you, you were on a satellite phone and I was catching about every fifth word, uh, yeah. trying to piece it all together. Uh, and you turned that into a book. I just want to say that's Al's <laughs> ability right there. That that describes Al's ability right there. Well, I think part of it too is, and I think this is what made the books interesting, is we're dealing with uh, a bunch of guys having to work in a stressful situation. So the fire department was helpful to me with that because yeah. I can just knowing the way men kid each other, the things they would say to each other, that sort of thing. So that was very easy uh, portion to do. I just had to change their uniforms. Um, right. And instead of giving them a fire hose, give them uh, something far more deadly than a fire right. hose. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of a, a transition there. And then in talking to you, I could pick up a, a, a lot of things. So... I, I think that's pretty much how it worked. And then writing is, uh, there's always a first draft, and the first draft is, uh, this is probably not the most delicate way to say this, but writers talk about vomiting on the page. Uh, yeah, it's just that's a get good that way of saying it out. right there. You just have to get it out and on the paper. Now you have something uh, you can deal with. Or I also liken it to you're going to build something, so you go to Home Depot, and you don't build it in Home Depot. You have to bring all that stuff home. you got to cut the wood. you got to do all this other stuff. Okay, so that's the real building process. But the first thing you have to do is get the material. So that's pretty much the first draft. And then we, I thought, had a very good uh, working relationship where you could go over that and say, no, no, they wouldn't say that. They would say it like this. Yeah. Um, and then the few times when I stumbled into something you weren't allowed to say, which was uh, by accident, uh, I was making something. And I was like, who's I'm- giving Al secret <laughs> information? I'm no, I know it's not coming from me. I'll never forget that conversation when you asked me to take the last portion out of, uh, I forget which book it was. I think it was the first one. Yeah, um, out of uh, Certain Jeopardy. Yeah, I, th- I think it was. Uh, and I, we'd added a, the fancy terms of denouement, the thing at the end where you wrap it all up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, put, you put the tortilla around the bur- uh, burrito. And uh, so I just made something up and you you called and said, no, you, you, you're not supposed to know that. <laughs> I didn't even know what you were talking about. No, yeah. no what? No, you're just not supposed to know. Then I realized you weren't going to tell me anyway. So that's right. Yeah, just let's just make that the, those pages go away. Just make yeah. So I don't know what it was or how it happened, but uh, that's something I've remembered for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I I do want to compliment you, and the reason why I'm spending a few minutes on this is because it's not easy to step into somebody else's shoes. 
You've never served in the military. You're writing some military thrillers. But even more impressive is your ability to sound like me and to, you know, put onto paper what I would say when you and I haven't even met together face to face for literally a couple of years into our work and relationship. That's not an easy task to do. So do you have some disciplines, some things that you use that help you sound like the person you're writing with? Yeah, there's a process. I don't know if everyone can do it or not, uh, but that's where you, you transfer yourself into a situation and it becomes very real. And when I talk to writers and teach writing, I, I will tell them this. If you're writing something sad, you better be crying. Okay. Or if, if it's a, should, an angry situation. Take note of what Al just said and write this down. Say that um, again, will you? Yeah. Well, I said if you're writing something sad, you better be crying. And uh, so you immerse yourself in what's going on. And that's one of the things I would do. So for our characters, I would imagine myself being there, doing that. What does that feel like? So to be under fire, for example, or um, uh, the portion where they're dropping bombs very close to them. Yeah, right. Uh, and you know, the, the danger close kind of thing. So I, I spend time actually imagining that. And I have the kind of imagination where I feel it. Uh, and that's the way real imagination works. And sometimes that can, that can get to you. Um, yeah. The, the human brain, especially the creative human brain, cannot separate reality from fiction. That's why when you go to a movie and you watch a scary movie, yeah, and some you know scary creature jumps out or whatever it might be that's uh, uh, providing the fear. That's why we jump in the movie. We know it's not real. It's in two dimensions, most likely. We don't even have the funny glasses on. It's just two dimensions. Um, the movie Alien did that to me, for example. In fact, it did it to everybody yeah. in that theater. Um, and I was telling myself, it's not real. It's two dimensions. It's all made up. And then, nonetheless, I jumped. Um, like everyone else, <laughs> right. uh, it's because the brain can't distinguish between it. Well, if you can get into that mindset while you're working, then it becomes reality to you as you're typing away, as you're looking at the page, or in my case, as I'm pacing around, uh, walking, trying to figure out what this is like, what does this feel like, uh, what does it smell like, and you use your senses to be very... Uh, so, you know, in, in our cases, if there's gunfire, there's going to be some Smells involved with that. That's right, yeah. Okay, uh, and what does that sound like? What is the, the, I'll tell you one that I really remembered where, um, okay, you're going to have to help me. I'm getting old now. Uh, stun uh, stun grenades were used next to them. Yeah. I thought, uh -huh. well, what is that like? Well, I had to get into this idea of my ears ringing, not being able to hear myself speak. Right. That whole kind of thing. I had to imagine what that was like. So when I wrote that scene, that's what I was doing. I was feeling all those things. Which yeah. can wear you out. Oh, yeah. I was about to say the fact that you just quoted your brain really doesn't know the difference between reality and fiction. If you're a fiction writer and you're writing about some really traumatic things, you're feeling every bit of that. If you're writing about some really terrifying things, you're, you're feeling every bit of that. Yes. And uh, that's it's. One of the things that I'm, I hope that the listener is hearing right now is this is not a walk in the park to write a thriller, to write a, you know, a, a, a drama, to write a, a difficult story. There's nothing easy about it. No, and it, it, uh, it, it can take an emotional toll. You can, you can distinguish later, but when you're in the process, you, do, you really feel that. The story I like to tell from a book I did a long, long time ago is one of my earliest books. And uh, this was going to sound strange, but it was an ensemble cast, kind of like what we were doing. Uh -huh. uh, and it was a mix of them. And it was supernatural suspense. 
And uh, the scene that I had come up with uh, was for this lady who was a thief, really. She's, you know, it's a Hollywood uh, kind of uh, thief. Uh, and, uh, and I sent her to hell for a while. It was a vision. They each had, what brought them together, they each mm-hmm. had some type of vision, and it only made sense if they put all those visions together. That's what yeah. made them a team. So that was a long time ago. And I remember writing that. Um, and, you know, I'm describing this and that, and I got to the end of it, and I finished the scene, and I quit for the day. I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I was emotionally spent. Yeah, the emotional was, toll on that. Yeah. It was maybe four pages, something like that. But it, uh, it just haunted me. And uh-huh. So that happens in a lot of them. So in writing your books, I often felt like I was there, which was pretty scary. Yeah, well, one of the things that we did well, and I really want to compliment you here too, is um, when we first started talking with the publisher about writing these books, I really, really felt strongly we need to recognize what the families go through. When you write books, especially action books that you want guys to read, it's all about guns and bombs and, you know, stuff blowing up. But at the same time, there are some very real families that are going through unknowns or going through the trauma of a phone call after watching a horrible news broadcast and not knowing if I pick the phone up, is that going to be somebody telling me that my husband's never coming home? And you captured the emotions of the family probably better than any military book I've ever read. And I mean that in all seriousness. You captured that, and you captured it really, really well, man. Yeah, that was also uh, emotionally trying on some of these. Uh, Of course, that's what a writer does is you get into the heads of the characters, which means I had to spend part of my time working with you being a teenage girl. Um, (laughs) That, yeah, that, that took I, a lot of work. I get a middle of picture right now of, a, of this voice in the teenage girl's yeah. body. Yes. And uh, trying to imagine, okay, what was that like? Or, or right. the, the wives. Right. So uh, JJ's wife, for example. And, yeah. And then the, that's one of the things we did that I thought was uh, most moving uh, when his wife is pregnant, but he's out on mission. Uh-huh. And that's what he's thinking about now. That's the new thing uh, in his mind, the, the, the new worry is, yeah. uh, are my kids going to know me? Um, and what am I going to be like uh, after going through all of that? So time all together, it's uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. But that's what makes a story sing. I love your language. That's what makes a story sing. Mm-hmm. Um, Al, you know writing inside and out, not just because you've done it so well for so many years, but you teach it. You teach it at conferences. Um, you teach it, uh, you know, you keynote conferences, helping people to try to get a book out there or to become a better writer. What are some of the concepts that you always try to get across when you're teaching at conferences about this? Uh, well, really several things. In fact, I just did a conference. I had laid off for several years, but it was just up in Seattle. Um, All right. Teaching. Uh, and uh, that was that was very enjoyable. Keynoted and then... The top, but there's usually the, the things I drive home is, uh, especially for those who want to be writers, is uh, you can't be a writer if you're not a reader. I okay, never met, I need you to say that one more time because there's a lot of listeners that need to yeah. hear that one again. You, you can't be a writer unless you're a reader. And what I tell students are is that you, you buy books and you read those books and every one of those authors is your mentor. You find the ones that move you the most, wow. that you connect with. And you have a mentor on the shelf. So for me, it was Dean Koontz because I liked the way he handled the language. Uh, and uh, 
in fact, I got to one point, I thought, uh, I, I can't read any more of his books because he's so good. I'll never be able to write that way. <laughs> yeah. Throw um, your hands up in, in frustration. I did. But then I did uh, something else. I went to the bookstore back when you would go to bookstores. Uh-huh. And I went to the Dean Kuntz shelf and he wrote constantly. So he had lots and lots of books. Yeah. I went through and I looked at all the uh, copyright pages. I found the earliest books that he wrote. Very early, early books that he wrote. First couple of them, I think I bought four of them. I went home and I read them. They were horrible. Just absolutely horrible. <laughs> Which and, gave you a little bit of hope, right? Yeah, that was the greatest thing that ever happened because it occurred to me that uh, you're not born a writer. You become a writer. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you work your way into it. And so that's really it. You, uh, you have to read. You find someone who's writing you really appreciate. You make them your mentor. You'll never have to meet them or talk to them. You just look at what they did. How do they put the words together? Or uh, I also tell people to slow down in their reading. We teach people to read fast. That's, I think, one of the worst things that's ever happened, especially for writers. Uh, it takes me forever to get through a book because I'm always looking at something. If it's good, it takes me even longer. And yeah. I'll race through it because it's good. I want to know how it's done. Uh, why is this a good sentence? Why is this a good paragraph? What did they do on this scene that uh, uh, is giving me the shivers or made me laugh, uh, whatever uh-huh. it might be? Uh, and then the other thing is uh, to take out clutter. We put in too many words. Uh, we think that uh, more words is better writing. It's not. Fewer words are better writing. Yeah. So Al's axiom uh, number two is writing is putting words on the page. Great writing is taking words off the page. Wow. I'm writing this one down right now as you're talking. Yeah. I've got about 60 of these uh, little axioms, and that's one of the things I teach. Anybody can put words on a page. That's fine. In your first draft, you don't really care uh, how bad it is. It doesn't really matter. Uh, Angie Hunt, I think she writes very good stuff, but her first draft, uh, she would never show to anyone. She just races through it. She ends, with, ends up with 75% of a book. She calls it an ugly baby. Um, An ugly she, baby. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, she doesn't care uh, because she knows she's not done. Now she's going to go yeah, back she'll and do put the some, real magic. She'll put some makeup and clothes on that baby, make it pretty. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to go back and start making the changes, flesh things out. And that's where the real magic happens. So, uh, and this was hard for me to learn because I, one reason I put off writing is I didn't want to rewrite. Turns out that's where the fun is, is in the really? rewriting. Yeah. Yeah, I never felt that way when I was working on academic stuff. So you got to explain why rewriting is fun. Yeah, um, it's it's an acquired taste. <laughs> of uh, course. But that's true. Uh, you know, I teach at a master's level, so I have to read theses, uh, tons of material in academic terms and, and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's, it's a great cure for uh, insomnia. Uh, <laughs> but even some of that can be brilliant. I've read some great, great papers. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I teach the students is you you have to do the rewriting. That's where everything comes together. And the, the key to that is to always remember your reader. Always, always remember your reader. It is not about you, the writer. When I write, it is not about me. I don't think about me. I only think about the reader. And that's true in everything. When I go to the doctor, I want the doctor to think about me, not about himself. Right. But the because writing has a certain stigma about it. People think, well, I'm a writer and people are going to love me, you know, and I'll get free dinners and stuff like that. Yeah, don't bet on it. Um, right. But it's, uh, it, it is a great art. It is very creative. But those writers think about themselves. It's okay to write for yourself, but if you're writing for publication, 
the only person you should be thinking about is the reader. Yeah. If you lose track of that, you lose track of everything. You um, write a lot in the Christian arena, and um, it's hard enough to get something published right now in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. If you want to self-publish, if you want to create a blog, if you want to do that stuff, anybody can do that at any time. But getting something published, it's not easy. Getting something published in the Christian um, markets is even more complex. I'm going to use that word instead of difficult because... There are lots of expectations that readers, publishers, editors are going to put on you. So for just a couple of minutes, Al, can you describe some of the challenges? They're not necessarily bad. They're just challenges that go along with publishing in the Christian uh, genres out there. Uh, there's, yeah. And I'm glad you make that distinction because writing for the Christian market is different. And that's because, again, we're thinking about the reader. Those uh -huh. readers are different than uh, readers who do nothing but secular uh, reading. Exercise and I'm, I'm all for, most of my uh, books are secular, or that I've read are secular. Most of my writing is in the Christian market. And I understand that best because I was a pastor for a very long time. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry, I just, uh, my train just derailed here. Oh, well, the I was Christian asking market, you yeah, the, yeah. The, how difficult it is to write for the Christian market. Yeah, it, uh, it can be very difficult. Uh, the reason is they publish fewer novels and uh, they publish a ton of nonfiction, uh, but novels are fewer and the readership is uh, skewed uh, towards a female audience. Yeah, that's, heavily. That's going to sound strange. And the, and the reason is, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the history behind this, is these books were sold in Christian bookstores. Christian bookstores were traditionally... Uh, open from like 10 to uh -huh. uh, 5 or 6 p.m. Okay, back in the day, men were usually working during that time. You know, so were some women, but most of the people sure. walking into yeah. a Christian bookstore was a, were women. And so uh, you can still see this in some Christian bookstores. When you go in, there's a very feminine feel to it. Yeah, okay, Nothing absolutely. wrong with that. That's yeah. who their clientele was. So you can't complain about that. But what that means is it also skews the genres that the publishers want to print. So romance became very big. First, it was uh, prairie uh, romances, uh, uh -huh. those sorts of things. Some light mystery, but it was uh, mostly romance kind of thing. And that took off and became very big. Now, there was, of course, the other side of this, too, the whole Left Behind series and stuff like that. Uh, so there's others, but it was predominantly female-oriented Yeah. Like that. Uh, so guys like me, who were writing for both genders, we uh, I never selected one over the other. Uh, I always let the story dictate who the protagonist mm -hmm. was. Uh, and so I would just, you know, get in their shoes and, and follow that person. Uh, but that's one of the reasons uh, that it's difficult. Also, there are some constraints, uh, because in the Christian market, uh, for language, for example, you know, we were yeah, talking about... Right. Uh, soldiers and stuff like that. And, and we know their language is always pristine and uh, clean. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. And yes. Sanitized, sanctified, all of that. Right. We're sure, we're Absolutely. Sure of that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Would never use yeah. a colorful word in their normal everyday language. A writer friend of mine, Jack Cavanaugh, he did a series of history things and he had one section on pirates, one book. They did it on pirates and he said, my pirates are the nicest pirates in the world. <laughs> yeah. And they never swear. They did uh -huh. um, and it was because of the, the market that he was writing it's in. It's the market, so, absolutely, yeah. yep. It's the market he was writing in. 
in a, another setting, it would have been much, much different. Definitely. With that. Yeah. But see, so you can still write that way. We, we did it. Um, and you still had all the tension and the action and uh, uh, some graphic violence. Uh, yeah. So I've got to tell you this because I'm smiling over here because in one of the books we did, uh, I, I make typos and my typos make sense. So I always have to have someone else read it. And we okay. had a, a soldier down on the team. They're asking, um, they're asking Doc how he's doing, and Doc says, "I'm afraid he has eternal injuries." <laughs> We're supposed to be eternal internal. injuries. These yeah, injuries yeah. are going to last forever. That's, that's what I said. My wife caught it, or my son caught it. I can't remember, but it's was, it was, uh, uh, going to have eternal injuries. So you're hurting. You're going to hurt for a very long time. Yeah, you're going to hurt uh, for the next million years. Yeah, but anyway, so you know, we were dealing with wounds and all kinds of different things going yeah. on. And, uh, so but anyway, the, the Christian industry is difficult in that. Uh, and also who does the, the selection. So it's very difficult. Uh, most books don't earn out. Uh, publishers right. still make money, but they don't earn out. That is, you don't get your, uh, they don't get the money they spent on the advance. Right. Back. That's right. They don't get all of it back, but they get money for other things. And that has to do with how much your royalty is, what percentage yeah. you're getting. It's why they don't get it back. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's a tough industry and it's always changing. So you do Agreed. have to keep track of the market. I'm glad you brought up the profits, royalties and all of that, because that's really what I want to go to next. Um, but to just compliment you, um, I'll say the way that we met Al was because I was going back and forth overseas with guys to war repeatedly. I had a large budget and I was buying a lot of books and I was bringing them with me overseas, and I wanted to buy some stuff that would really encourage and lift guys up, right. but I'd hand them books, and they didn't read them. They'd put them down, and then they would go pick up a Dean Koontz or a John Gresham or a book like that, and I'm like, I don't understand why nobody's... I'm giving these books away free. Why is nobody reading these books? Why are they reading those? So I went back to a very trusted friend and said, I need a book that is written for men has a Christian theme, and is action-packed. What do I buy? And he sat there with this stunned look on his face, thought for a very long minute, and he said, doesn't exist. Literally, there's nothing out there in the history of the written language that does, that uh, fills what you're looking for, Jeff. And then he was the one who said, I think you need to write it, and I think you need to talk to Al Gansky. That's how we got started. Um, I, I think you may have heard that story before, but that's how dominated the industry was by material that was really written for a very specific audience and not at all the kind of guys that I was going to war with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right with that. And that's one of the things that's, that uh, skews publishing is it is a business. They have to yes. make money. That's exactly want, right. They will tell you uh, we're a mission and that's fine. That's what they're doing. We have a mission. Um, but they keep doing that. They have to sell books. And so what they will always do is they will look at what is selling now. And what, what can we do? And with, with the guy fiction, it was always, so I did several, the Perry Sachs, um, uh -huh. J.D. Stanton, um, all of those uh, were like that. But I also wrote with uh, uh, female protagonists um, and with mystery books and other such things. And they were always very present. So I always had a, strong female influence in every book, which is what we did. 
with yours. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this episode for the listener already feels very different because they're sitting there yawning right now. And I'm trying to answer two questions that I have been asked. I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating with this a thousand times. And it's an aspiring author. It's a pastor who's never had a book in print, but he's got a bunch of sermons transcribed. And hey, Jeff, what does it take to get a book printed? Or it's Mm. somebody who wants to, and you've already used this language, Al, I'm going to write a book. It's going to become a bestseller. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be famous. I'm never going to have to work again. And you and I both, when we hear a comment like that, want to fall out of the chair laughing because that's just not going to happen. So the unbeatable podcast reason why I'm interviewing you is because I am convinced no one, not one of the people who came to me about getting a book in print understands just how hard this is. And now I want you to go into some details on the challenge of just writing to begin with, let alone getting that writing in front of a publisher, getting them to pick up that writing. And then you may not make, you may... In, you're going to make less than minimum wage when you uh, consider the amount of hours that you put into it versus the amount of royalties that came back on it. Um, so can we get just get into the business side of writing now? Yeah. Um, there's an old statement, of, if, uh, especially back in the day when all the publishers were in New York, that if you walk down a New York street, you see all these uh, buildings and you, you think you're looking at a publishing house. Well, really, it's a casino. <laughs> That's a uh, good word for it. It's a roulette wheel, and they're yeah. going to spin the wheel. Because they never know. Uh, right. I, I mentioned the Left Behind series uh, sometime back. That was the biggest surprise ever. Uh, really? I, yeah, I know Jerry Jenkins. I've talked to him. Um, we palled around a little bit, uh, especially in the speaking circuit and stuff. But uh, a gift, gifted writer. But for him, it was another co-writing opportunity. Yeah. Writing with Tim LaHaye. And, Tim LaHaye, uh, right? And uh-huh. So he, he he put that down. It was going to be a certain number of books. They got that, um, you know, Tim LaHaye, big name. So they had a big group to appeal to. Um, he had his own mailing uh, list and all that sort of thing. So that was very good. But he will he will tell you if you ever hear him speak when he talks about that. He goes, uh, "That was the biggest surprise of my life. I thought I would just write these like as I usually do. I move on, um, and then there will be another set where I would co-write or I'd do my uh, own books." You don't know. That's just yeah. it. You just don't know. I've, I've written, uh, sometimes been brought on board to work with someone else uh, and do the co-writing process, get it all worked out and ready to go for the publisher and do all of those kinds of things. Big name. Uh, people know them. You think, okay, this is going to sell well. That can go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, then you, you find some that uh, you would never guess would take off, and it takes off. Yeah. So there's a great deal of uncertainty in it. And you're, you're right. Most writers um, make less than minimum wage from their writing. Now, I, I did it full time for a while. I was a pastor for a while. I retired from that. I had to give it a shot before I got too old. And um, so I wrote full time for quite a while. I wasn't living in a mansion, uh, but we ate. <laughs> yeah. Know, kids didn't go hungry. Um, but that was constantly producing. And that's one reason I had so many books. I had to keep producing books. Uh, until one just really takes off, a Dan yeah. Brown kind of thing from the secular right. side. Um, he was very surprised about that too. Uh, you just you just don't know. Nor do you know when it's going to happen. I had just somebody, uh, 
he had been a student at uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers. You spoke there. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, he'd come to me. He was ready to quit. I get this quite a bit. And so I talked him off the ledge. Um, and he kept producing stuff. Something like five years later, six years later, uh, he sends me a book. And uh, it's a, a military uh-huh. fiction. Um, and he'd done something like five books, six books before that, never took off. And all of a sudden now he's writing for one of the uh, largest publishers in the world. Yeah, yeah. And they, they liked this stuff so much they gave him another two books to do. And then said, so we also want you to do this uh, uh, work on some of the Tom Clancy books. You know, wow. Tom Clancy's yeah. now gone, but uh, he's a brand now. Yeah. And they have the rights to that. So that's what he's doing. I, I got a great Tom Clancy story I'll have to tell you sometime. Um, but... I want people that are listening to hear what you just said for the average writer. And I'm talking about somebody who really is passionate about what they're about their topic. You're probably going to work far harder than you're uh, writing a book than what you would do in a normal nine to five job. If the book, and this is a huge if, if the book gets picked up by a publishing house, don't be surprised if that book never pays out. Now, this is a literary term. Can you describe what pays out means to the listener, Al? Okay. In the realm of traditional publishing, there's different types of publishers. There's little mom and pop things. You can self-publish. Traditional publishing refers to the way it's been done uh, forever. Yeah. And in traditional publishing. Yeah. Phew, long time. Uh, and, and that is... Uh, <laughs> Today, you, you pretty much have to have an agent, but that's gone on for a very long time, uh, mm-hmm. back in the 20s and so on. Uh, but you uh, you write your material, the uh, and you your agent submits it, or if you're going to writer's conferences and you talk to an editor and they say, send that to me, so that's your opening, you send that to them, uh, that starts a whole process. And it is a process. And it does take time. It's uh, at times very frustrating. Uh and it will yeah. go through if several stages. If I could interject, stages. it is sure. a, at what you're hearing from Al right now is this is a long and very painful process. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you, it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yeah. Okay. So you get started. So they have to go through something. So there's an acquisitions editor. They go through this and they go, I like this. And a really big publishing house, it'll go through to one of the acquisitions editors, readers will say, okay, I give it a pass now. It goes to you. I think you might like it then that person will decide whether or not to present it to, uh, and I'm going to use your air quotes, the pub board, which always sounds like uh-huh. people sitting around a bar hoisting beers. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not that kind of pub. No. It's, it's short it's for publication. It's not an Irish bar, right? It's not an Irish bar. It's a publication uh, committee, and people gather together, and then they start talking about, is it a good story? Can the person write? How much we're going to have to spend to get it edited? How long do you think it'll take? How big is the market? Uh, is mm-hmm. the book too long? Is it too short? Because yeah, they have to pay for all that paper and ink. Uh, you know, can we? Uh, and then they'll finally they will do a financial and they will figure out what to offer you as an advance. And it's always less than what you think it should be. Yeah, a lot less. Yeah, a lot less than what you think it should be because they're the one doing the gambling, and they're also paying for all the editing and artwork and stuff like that. So you know, there's some reason behind it with that. Once it goes through that, then you go through uh, and they accept it. Then it goes through uh, several stages of editing. There's a macro edit. They look at the big picture. There's a line edit. They change some of the sentences. I used to do a lot of line editing. 
Uh, so it yeah. reads a little bit better, make sure there's consistency, that there's copy editing. You know, copy editors are uh, a special supernatural group of people yeah, right. uh, yep. that have a, a brain that can tell the difference between the proper use of a semicolon and the improper use of a semicolon. <laughs> yes, um, there's something you know, the great, disturbing about that kind of brain. Yeah, there's, it's, you know, whatever the magic is on that, and they understand that, can tell you why. Um, and it goes through all of those edits, and it, it's time-consuming, can be frustrating, especially if you don't agree with them. Uh, usually if you're to the copy editors, you know, they're matching a style sheet that they have to do. I, I'm done at that point. I just make sure they haven't changed too much, yeah. made a mistake along the way, and then I just let them do what they want on that because um, they, they're smarter than I am with that. Uh, then uh, after it goes through all of that, it, uh, then there's the, the, the printing and the publication. And today, uh, things have changed. It used to be the yeah. publisher took care of all the publica- uh, publishing right. work, not the publishing, which were mm-hmm. uh, publicity. We used to take care of all the publicity. They don't do that anymore. They really want you to be the publicist. Yeah. And they, they will ask you sometimes. In fact, when you do a proposal, which is the thing you send in before you send in your uh, manuscript, uh, in there you, you talk about how you're going to promote it. And they will weigh it on that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, because I was never very good at that, I could still sell the books. Um, and that worked out. But it is it is a process. You, you if you go to any profession, if you're going to take on plumbing, be a doctor, whatever you, whatever it is, you be a pastor. There's things you have to learn, right? And there's hoops to jump through, and you learn them, and then you realize that you're that you feel glad about having gotten through the hoops. Yeah, what <coughs> you've just heard is every one of these steps or stages along the publishing route. All of these steps have people. All of these people get paychecks. The publisher has a lot of money invested in every book. And I don't want the listener to feel like, oh, those guys and gals in the big publishing houses are sitting up in their high office, their, you know, their corner office in those high rises, and they're making lots of money. The truth is they're taking a big risk on every book. Unless your name is J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or Dan Brown, Every book a publisher is risking losing lots and lots of money and on a few, maybe making lots of money. So you're not even going to get your book into the publisher's house if you didn't hear Al's first step. And step one, this is what I tell every time somebody asks me, step one is go get a literary agent. No one is going to talk to you. Doesn't even matter how big your social media following is. No one's going to talk to you without a literary agent and a really good literary agent at that. Yeah, there you can go to uh, writers' conferences and pitch, uh, depending on the writers' conference. And I ran one for a number of years. Uh, mm-hmm. You can pitch to an editor, and an editor may say, "Go ahead, and send that to me, and they'll give you your your card." And sometimes you can work around that way, but it's always good to have an agent because there's a lot of details in the contract. Yeah, be very thick and uh, frightening. And it's good to have an agent who will have your back uh, every once in a while in publishing. It's like any business. You'll get somebody uh, in the publishing side who was uh, acting up a little too big for the britches or something like that. And uh, the agent, if you have a good agent, will go in and uh, put you back in your place. I was going to say, there's an old phrase a friend of mine used to say, tell him how the cow ate the cabbage. I have no idea yeah. what that means. But anyway, um, 
and I, I've seen that happen where they say, uh, I'll, I'll take care of this. And I, I don't know what the conversation was that transpired, but um, if, and that's if you have a good agent. If you don't have a good agent, right. they just don't do it. They'll tell you to talk to them and yourself. And so even that's a learning process. Yeah. And I just want to also caution the aspiring writer out there. Every industry, Christian, doesn't matter what the subgenre is. There's some rules that you got to follow, which means really no one gets a chance to write whatever they want the way they want to write it. Um, all of those steps along the way, they're tweaking your material. In fact, in a more than a few cases, I didn't even get a chance to choose the title, little alone how some of that plot went along. Um, I'll give the, the listener a hint. If you've ever read any of the books Al and I worked on, I really wanted to kill off the main character. And the publishers absolutely adamantly refused. And I was like, if this is going to be realistic, we have to kill off the main character. And they're like, nope, we're not going to let you do that because your books will never, ever sell again. So, Jeff, it doesn't matter what you want. We're not doing that. And they were right. It's, it's, it, I was wrong. They were right. Yeah. I'm thinking of a couple of stories right now uh, that go along with that. But uh, that is yeah. uh, certainly, certainly true. Um, in fact, I lost a, a possible book contract because I did a, uh, uh, in a novel, it's not a foreword, but, uh, anyway, I had a, a, an opening chapter that wasn't the first uh -huh. chapter like Clive Custer does, uh, yeah. or did. And, uh, and it took place at a, in uh, Ethiopia at a, a, a place where they were feeding the starving and, uh, things like that. And there was, I had a, a female character who was, uh, uh, I made her a little too real, I think. Because um, what I wanted to do is establish that the bad guy was really, really bad. Yeah, yeah. Just really, really bad guy. Um, and and sure enough, comes in, warlord comes in, um, kills a guy, uh, the Ethiopian she'd been working with, and kills her. And it, the the book went to the pub board, and the, the I think it was the editor of the children's section, um, uh, uh, voted it down. Said no, no. Yeah. And I said, "What? Well, it's not the main character, you know." It's, no, no. I liked her. Yeah. It, it got a very personal <laughs> thing. I liked her. I'm and, laughing uh, right now because yeah. I know exactly what that feels like. No, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. And um, so what I did is I, uh, I, I took it out of the first place and I put it in later. All I right. Started with a different first chapter, and I think I made yeah. it chapter two or something like that. So it still got in there, and everybody was fine with that. So. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of odd. It's a weird world. So honestly, Al, in that for the average writer who's out there to write their first book, we're talking at a minimum months and months of work. In some cases, depending on what you're writing and the research that you're doing, years worth of work, you're going to find an agent. They're going to pitch it to a publisher. Let's say the publisher picks it up and then they have all of these people that are helping to shape the final product. They're all getting paid along the way. And at the end of the day, this is no exaggeration. You are making far less than minimum wage. So for everyone out there who's saying, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write the next bestseller, I'm going to be a millionaire and super famous, and everybody's going to buy my meals and slap me on the back when I walk down the street. That's just not going to happen. So yeah. the real question that people are probably asking right now is, why even do this then? 
if if it's that difficult and the payoff the you know the reward at the end of the work is that minimal why even do it um, how would you answer that question? And then after you answer it, Al, I'm going to tell you, tell the listener my standard answer to this question. Uh, yeah, that's that's a hard one to answer. Occasionally, somebody does make it big. That that is not unusual, even in, in the Christian market too. There yeah, it can happen. Very, sure. very well, it can happen. Sometimes it happens after a long time in a long writing career. Sometimes it happens right at the start. Uh, I sold my first book, and I, it wasn't a great seller, but nonetheless. That's unusual, um, right? And looked out with that, and it can take a very long time, as you said, uh, with one exception. To be perfectly honest, here, the first book we did together, I wrote in six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ask me if I want to do it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I want to make sure everybody heard that Al wrote it in six weeks. I was overseas getting shot at, so Al did all of the right. work. I was just making some phone calls over a satellite phone. Yeah, you're on some mountain somewhere. Yeah, and, on a mountaintop uh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, somewhere. That's always the way. The way it was. Our my other favorite phrase was, "I, I have to make a business trip." Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's right. All I'm gonna, that's all I'm going to hear anyway. So uh, for the listener, when I told Al I had to make a business trip, my business is the military and going to war. So when I have to make a business trip over a non-secure phone line, that means I'm about to go to war again with this clandestine yeah. unit. Sorry. Go ahead. Um. So I'm sorry, my wife was waving by here and now I get uh, lost. But what you're saying is very true. It, uh, it is time consuming. Uh, and so why do it? You have to love it. Yeah. This is why. Uh, most writers are heavy readers. That's where they start. And it brings uh -huh. great joy. Especially in the Christian market, it's also very possible you can change lives. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, and that's also true in the secular market if you're writing nonfiction. Usually the fiction doesn't change many lives, but that's it's possible that some kind of thing uh, could go like that. So yes, you, you don't know, but you have to love it. You have to love the process, no matter how much you hate it at moments. And it, it can be very frustrating, but that's really true with everything. I spent 10 years in architecture and that was, at times I hated it, yeah. times I loved it. Right. Uh, the same thing with ministry, but everything else that I've done, it, it's just the way it is. You, you kind of have yeah. to love it. And there is something honorable about it. It's not something everyone can do. And there is something when you say, yeah, uh, I wrote a book and, uh, it was, and it was published. Uh, we wrote several books and it was published. Uh, it, it's not just an ego thing, but it, there is right. a great satisfaction in being able to say that. Uh, and, and so it, it still drives me. I've, I've laid off for a bit because I retired and then I started teaching and now I'm picking stuff up again. But All right. Uh, I, I still love it. And I, I'll be honest with you, it becomes addictive. I sometimes get depressed yeah. if I don't write. Yeah. Not putting words on the page, I can start getting depressed. I say almost the exact words that you use when people uh, talk to me about writing. I warn them. I usually try to steer them away from it. If you've never written before and you're trying to put a toe in this in the water, but I usually tell people, listen, there's really only two reasons why anybody would ever start something like this. And you you got to be a little bit crazy either way. But there's the kind of person out there that really feels like I have to say something because I want people to pat me on the back. I want people to applaud because of what I've said. Then there is the writer who has something to say and it's burning inside them. And you just can't get any rest until you get that thing that's inside you out on paper. <clears throat> Sorry. And 
when you're finally done, the sense of accomplishment, even though you're probably not going to make any money, you're never going to be famous, you're not going to be rich, and people are not going to buy your meals, the sense of accomplishment is just the same as climbing Mount Everest, a, you know, finishing a marathon, doing a great endeavor, because it's that kind of work, and you've just accomplished it. And you can sit back and be very, very proud of what you've accomplished. So my recommendation is be the kind of person that has to say that has something to say and chances are you'll eventually get a book in print. If you're the kind of person that just feels like you have to say something, my guess is given how competitive the industry is, don't don't be surprised if no one ever picks up your book. No one's ever shows any interest in it. Yeah. Very true. And again, we 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 just don't know. But you do have to love it yeah. and you could make a big difference. Uh, in the, on the Christian market side, sometimes there's a sense of calling to it. This is what Absolutely. we do. This yeah. is what we do. You know, in fact, a professor was, uh, told a friend of mine while he was in seminary, he said, multiply, the professor said, multiply your ministry, start writing. And he did. And I, he's written like 25 books or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it does make a difference. And there is also, and this is an intangible thing, um, I don't know about you, when you look at the books that you've done, um, I keep some books that I just in sight, just so I can look at it and go, okay, yeah. I, I can do this. Yeah, um, right. I, I never know when I start a new book if I can do it. Uh, I, yeah. I have severe doubts about whether or not I'll be able to finish it, but I start off anyway. And um, that's true when you accomplish something, it gives you a great sense just to even look at it yeah, or touch it. Well, I, for one... Um, all of the books that we have that I have in print, none of them have really ever paid big money or royalties. So my wife and I have taken the the money that the books have made and bought copies literally and given it away. We have given away far more copies out of our own money than mm. what the books have actually made. So I don't think I've, I I think I'm in the minus column when it comes to <laughs> money from the books. But the reason why I do this and continue to do this is I have a folder in my office. It's not a very large folder, but it is a folder. And I print off all of the meaningful replies that people give me about the books and how it touched their life. And for me, I'll lose money. I'll do all of that work. If I just get a few meaningful replies that say that book really made an impact on my life, that that folder in my office is the reason why I write. I have, uh, I don't always tell this story, but uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this short. I was contacted a long time ago uh, from uh, the nonfiction editor of a publisher who wanted me to write a novel for the publisher. Okay. Thought, well, that's that's kind of odd. It usually doesn't work that way. You know, yeah, I have to right. contact them and I contact the it fiction It usually goes the other way on. around. But right. I had worked with him on some other stuff and he had this... Um, what I thought was an oddball idea. And he said, Al, here's what I'm thinking about. I want to take a, a forensic detective and I want, to, uh, I want to send him back in time to Jesus's day. Long pause. I said, what? Uh -huh. uh, and I said, well, how does he get there? I don't know. I'll let you figure that out. When <laughs> you can do I, that, Al. You figure yeah. that out. When can I have a proposal? And I go, I, I, I don't think I can come up with a proposal for that. I don't know how to do that. Uh, and we went back and forth and I kept telling him, no, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And he was one of those guys who won't hang up the phone. Uh huh. And finally said, I'll tell you what, okay, I'll let me see if I can pull a chapter together, if I can make it work. And that became the book Crime Scene Jerusalem. 
it, it went to contract. Uh, became, yeah. Okay, so long after that, uh, I get this email from somebody who uh, says, uh, I'm currently working uh, in the, the Holy Land. And you can give me a specific place um, uh, for a company. And you didn't tell me the company. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking, how do I get I, these people? I, th I think I was going to say, I think I see where this is going. Yeah. And he says, so I've been reading your book. Uh, and what I do is uh, the guy in the past, he, he thinks he's had a stroke and he's just imagining uh -huh. all of this. So he just plays along and he's uh, he has a guide. And the, the guide is Jesus. He doesn't quite recognize that, but I don't hide it from the reader. And uh -huh. He's going to all the places uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane on. Uh, through the crucifixion and all the all mm -hmm. of these things, he says, "I've been going to all of those places uh, as I read the book and visiting there, uh, and I got to the tomb and I gave my life to Christ." Wow! And I thought, I worked so hard to get out of that project. Yeah, yeah. I worked so hard to say no. It, it's a stupid idea. Yeah. Uh, not even I can make that work. And I write stupid <laughs> ideas. That's right. Um, I do this for a living. I, do, I make this stuff up for a living, weird stuff. I don't think I can make that fly. And uh, it, it flew. Yeah, and look at it that. It actually became one of my, my favorite, one of my favorite books. I was just, I was getting chills as you were saying that. That for me would make the months, if not years of work and very little money in return all worth it. Um, just that right there. Al, thank you. On this episode, what you have helped me do is answer countless emails, phone calls, text messages from people who are saying, I've never written before. It seems easy. I want to be rich. I'm going to make lots of money, be very famous. How do I do this? And this episode is designed to say, maybe you need to get uh, to go back and rethink your goals in, a, in writing yeah. for the first time. But for all of those guys and gals out there that are writing and writing really well, I salute you because it is exceptionally hard work, like climbing Everest or finishing an incredibly difficult physical challenge. That's the sense of accomplishment you get from putting a book in print. Hmm. Uh, I, I agree 100%. Uh, and there's a joy in that when you get to the yeah, end. It sure is. It's been a joy to catch back up with you. Let's not make it so long next time. Um, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Good seeing and, you, brother. Yep, you too. We'll see you. Bye. Bye. You just heard it from the master himself. If you really have something that's deep inside of you and you're burning, uh, and it's burning you up and you want to get it out, if you're the kind of person that has something to say, I hope this episode has given you the tools that you need and the advice to actually get a book into print. As Alton Gansky has said, anybody can put words on a paper, but not everybody can call themselves an author. And if you want to know more about Alton, you can find him on his website, altongansky.com. All you got to do if you're driving and you don't know how to spell that name is just check it out in the notes to this episode. You know, I have a couple of books that are in print and one of them I worked on for more than four years. I give it away totally free. It is my way of just helping to encourage you when you're going through some hard times. This PDF booklet is called The Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. And if you want it, I'll give it to you free. 
just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. There's lots of people that are connected with us online and that are subscribing to this podcast each week. If you're not already a subscriber, why don't you go ahead and hit subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform? Did you also know that we are on social media just about everywhere? All you got to do is search for at Unbeatable Podcast and you'll find us. You'll also find some pretty amazing fans like our fan of the week this week. His name is Peter Marino. And I just want to say, Peter, thank you for staying so faithful. Thank you for staying so connected. For everyone out there, thank you for tuning in to this episode. I'll see you next week when I bring you another great guest on Unbeatable.